on this episode of Rebel Spirit Radio. And the reason I say grief is a great teacher is that she breaks our hearts open like nothing else. And then we start seeking answers. Well, one of the first answers I began to understand because my departed husband came back and told me is that as soon as we cross over, as soon as the soul leaves the body, we go through what's called a soul review. And in that soul review, we're held by loving beings. And we see our entire lifetime that we've just come out of, but we see the backstory, the pain of everyone who ever hurt us or wounded us or that we were angry at. We understand completely why they behaved the way they did because we see their soul journey and we understand that they're a soul on a journey doing the best they can to their level of awareness just like we are and all is forgiven in that soul review welcome to rebel spirit radio exploring the frontiers of spirituality consciousness the esoteric in humanity's sacred relationship with a living earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather, and in this episode, author Sue Frederick joins me to discuss her book, Through a Divine Lens, Practices to Quiet Your Ego and Align with Your Soul. Sue explains how we are all souls on a journey, the importance of looking at the chaos of the world through the soul's point of view, why we should always do the work that our souls are calling us to do, and to remember that love is always winning. Also, please be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to or view podcasts. Your support is truly appreciated. Sue Frederick is a spiritual coach, lifelong intuitive, master numerologist, certified soul regression therapist, and an ordained unity minister. Her work has been featured in the New York Times, on CNN.com, and in Real Simple, Yoga Journal, Natural Health, and Complete Woman magazines. The author of I See Your Dream Job, I See Your Soulmate, and Bridges to Heaven, she joins me today to discuss her latest book, Through a Divine Lens, Practices to Quiet Your Ego and Align with Your Soul. Sue, welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio. Oh, it's a pleasure to be talking to you today, Nick. Oh, well, thank you. And the pleasure is all mine, I think. So, I thought that we could begin maybe with the title of the book. I am curious a little bit about your background because that features in the book as well. But I thought we would start with the title. What do you mean by a divine lens? Well, I'm glad you asked because people who are watching us can see this image behind me. I had a vision in 2014, out-of-body experience, And I had gotten sick from traveling and I had a high fever and I left my body and I was held by loving divine beings. And I was shown planet earth, as you can see in this vision from a distance, I was held out in space to look at earth and all of these beams of light were shooting up from earth and moving around the planet, illuminating all the dark corners. And I asked the guides, I said, what is it? What are we looking at? What are those beams of light? And they said, every time a human on earth awakens to their divinity and remembers that they are part of God consciousness and 
supposed to be loving and compassionate, a light beam shoots up into the universe from their heart, their soul, and it lights, sparks other people awake. And they were showing me how that light was always winning and, and always filling in the dark crevices. And I said, why are you showing me this? And they said, because life is going to be pretty tough on earth in the next few years. And you have to remember and you have to teach that the light is always winning, as you see here, <clears throat> and the love is always winning, no matter how dark things can seem when we're down in the details of life. And when I came back into my body and recovered and woke up, I grabbed my computer and just started writing to try to make sense of this very intense vision that I'd experienced. And what kept coming to me was, yes, there's two ways we view life. And one of them is down in the details, the mundane part of life. That's our ego lens or our human mind at work. But when we pull back and see this beautiful bigger picture, the divine lens view of life, Yes, God consciousness is the most powerful force and it's always winning, no matter how things may seem. And I didn't know why that was so important. I kind of thought things were okay <laughs> in 2014. But in the next, you know, as things have unfolded, I have to constantly go back to this vision and remind myself and teach it in my classes and with my clients don't worry about that detail because as long as you keep your heart in alignment with God consciousness and light and love and compassion, you are on the winning team here. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's a message that many of my guests have um, approached that we are in for some very troubling times, some very difficult times. And, and they, they approach it from different angles. So it's like the message is being delivered in a lot of different ways mm -hmm. so that people can receive it, I think. Yeah. And I really like the image of the light coming from the earth rather than coming down into the earth. Right. You know, I became a unity minister after studying every tradition. I grew up Catholic, studied theosophy, Buddhism, Hinduism, everything. Because unity teaches that we are all part of God, that God is a loving consciousness that runs this universe and that that love, that consciousness is in all of us. To me, that is the ultimate truth here. And we just completely forget that when we get here. But it's still true, even when we don't remember it. And I know that you're a scholar of religious studies, so... You know that in the Bible, you know, the Bible has been rewritten so much, but but really in the original scriptures, Jesus said, I give you a new commandment, and it's more important than all the rest. It's to love one another. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the world today and how we're treating each other, this is a call for humanity to step up to that one sacred commandment of love and compassion. Yeah. 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 Love your neighbor. And I always like to ask, in fact, I just did this the other day in a class I'm teaching where I ask students, you know, who's your neighbor? Who's your neighbor? And to reflect on it because it's not just always people who live next door. Right. Yeah. And I, I liked also 
that so much of your book is grounded in that idea of compassion. Yeah. And I had a, not a complete quote here, but I kind of used some ellipses here. But one of the things you wrote was, our truth speaks up when we see the heartbreak in everyone's journey, the struggle in everyone's life, the pain shared by each family member. And I thought that was really important. And I was wondering if you could comment on that a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, grief has been my greatest teacher. And I was awakened in 1979 when my beautiful young mountain climbing husband died of cancer in my arms. And I was 29. And the reason I say grief is a great teacher is that she breaks our hearts open like nothing else. And then we start seeking answers. Well, one of the first answers I began to understand because my departed husband came back and told me is that as soon as we cross over, as soon as the soul leaves the body, we go through what's called a soul review. And in that soul review, we're held by loving beings. And we see our entire lifetime that we've just come out of but we see the backstory, the pain of everyone who ever hurt us or wounded us or that we were angry at. We understand completely why they behaved the way they did because we see their soul journey. And we understand that they're a soul on a journey doing the best they can to their level of awareness, just like we are. And all is forgiven in that soul review. That's the most beautiful image to me of this divine lens that we can argue with each other here we can even hurt each other here but when we lift up for that higher understanding the people who've hurt you the most have only acted from their own story their own pain and the more we can see life that way we learn there's nothing to forgive ever it's all a play of consciousness hmm. that reminds me of a i don't know what i want to call it maybe a little mantra or something that i was taught by a professor of mine once whose specialty was tibetan buddhism but it was i am doing the absolute best that i can and so is everybody else yes. always yes can you imagine how the world would shift if we could all even just spend one day in that mantra? <laughs> right, right. Well, I, you know, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. Well, I just think all of politics would crumble, you know, and, and here's the thing, if I may talk about this, the thing I've learned from writing that book through a divine lens, because it really continued to channel that wisdom and those voices through me into that book but the thing I've learned is that we used to be on earth in our heads. And we believed if I have the right ideas, the right education, the right point of view, then it's my responsibility to change everybody else's mm. ideas here and to, you know, be a political activist and all of that. And I was a child of the 60s. So I do believe that we did help stop, stop the Vietnam War. You know, we did some good things with our anger mm -hmm. and our opinions. And yet now, because consciousness has evolved to a higher frequency, the call to action here now is to get out of the head, stop arguing. Nobody is ever going to change anybody else's mind anymore. But instead, 
the call to action is to love those, even those you think are completely wrong and even dangerous. Those are the people we are now called to have compassion and love for. Yeah. Yeah. And I was told by a very wise person not so long ago that the uh, most difficult and longest journey is from the head to the heart. Oh my gosh. Isn't that true? Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. And and I also like that in the sense that, you know, I, I'm not going to name names and uh, I, I want to avoid being political, but there is a political figure in recent American history that I absolutely loathe. But I made <laughs> a very specific point of never saying that I hated that person yeah. or anyone from any other, you know, kind of political ideology. And what I would do is I would find the things that I disliked most about them mm -hmm. and then turn it around on myself. Ooh. For example, I would say, you know, I don't like their arrogance. Ah. And then I would say, ah, but how am I arrogant? That's so good. You know, you know, this is why I use sacred numerology and I've taught it for so many decades is that when we look at, and sacred numerology was kind of given to me when my husband died in 1979, because I had been to grief therapists and counselors, and nobody could answer my questions. Why did my beautiful, loving, young husband suffer so much? Mm -hmm. And why am I still here? What, what, why can't I just go join him? And this person came and gave me a sacred numerology reading. And in that moment, they lifted me up to that soul's view. And when we do the life path um, of everyone here, even those who we may loathe, because I have people I loathe also <laughs> in politics, it's so eye-opening because when we come in as a soul, we each choose a path here that we intend to walk on the light side of it, the loving side of it. And yet we have free will every day. So we can choose to walk on the dark side of it. So an example would be if your soul chooses the eight path, which is about learning power, the right use of power, and the ultimate right use of power is to empower others. We know that, but every free will journey says, well, let me just dance in this negative side for a while and see what I learned from that. And so they become power abusers. And when you do the numbers of people who are now in political power, it is so fascinating and it helps you look at it as a soul journey. And you go, wow, look what they are learning, walking on the dark side of their path. And, and like you, I go, how can I learn who I don't want to be walking on the dark side of my path by watching that all play out? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's difficult work. You know, it's very difficult, difficult work. And I, I wanted to ask, you know, let's, let's uh, ground this a little bit because so much of this, your work is informed by that initiation of crisis and trauma. Right. And you wrote that pain is the fuel. So this isn't necessarily about avoiding right pain right it's about working with it 
every client that I work with, we talk about the pain that fuels them. So for example, I work with a lot of grieving moms and they've lost beautiful children and their children are in spirit trying to help them move on and be happy here because they still have something to do here. And so with the children's spirit nudging them, we talk about in your moment of greatest heartbreak, what do you wish had been offered to you? Because now your great work is about offering that to others. And that's very unique and specific for everyone. And if I go back to my greatest moment of heartbreak, I was 29 and I was a mountain climber. I led mountaineering trips through Colorado, at Colorado Outward Bound School. You might know about that. It was in the 70s. And I believed we were invincible. My husband, Paul, believed we were physically invincible. And suddenly he had a few stomach pains and he died a very suffering death in his life. And in that moment, what I needed was for somebody not to come up and tell me in the traditional grief counseling way, oh, well, you'll get over this, you know, you've got to move on here and you'll find another husband someday. That is garbage in my humble opinion. But what I needed was for somebody to help me look at it through the divine lens, the soul's perspective, to tell me why am I still here? Oh, I agreed to this with my husband. Wow, look at our soul agreement. Look at my path here. Look at what he chose. And then now I can be productive moving forward. And here I am all these decades later, helping people, especially grieving people, to understand why they're still here and how to move forward. And I'm not going to say that happened immediately after Paul died, because of course it didn't. I had to walk my pain and my rage and everything else that's part of our human story here. But I tell people all the time, the minute you can call out for help. So we just take a breath and say, please, divine spirit, lift me up to see this moment differently. That call, that prayer is always answered and it will pull us out of the darkest moments of pain And it's our choice to make that call, to ask for that help from spirit. And once we do, the help is there. Mm -hmm. Very nice. So one of the things I wanted to ask is kind of in conjunction with all of that is, you know, I think it's difficult, you know, and, and, you know, you're writing about a major traumatic loss, you know, the loss of a husband or mothers, fathers that have lost children. But what about just the day-to-day drudgery, I know. <laughs> you know, the, you know, the, the anxiety, the I self-doubts know. and all of that. Oh my gosh. And let me just tell you in these last couple of years, the, because the frequency is shifting so much on earth. Every single person here is feeling that anxiety, is feeling that fear. We each have to find our sacred practice that helps us shift out of it and be productive anyway and quit taking it personally. I mean, I have to tell myself all this, you know, if you if I wake up feeling like the most worthless person on earth and filled with anxiety about the future of earth, 
then it's my responsibility to do my mind quieting meditations, to call out for help from my departed loved ones, from God consciousness. I have to do the work to shift out of that. And that is a hard thing to do. I mean, we have hard things we have to do on earth, even just being in the drudgery of survival details day after day, like, oh, I got to pay those bills. Oh, I got to clean the house. It is, it's soul sucking. Mm. And so it is our responsibility, no matter how hard our life is, to call out for the higher consciousness. But I'll also say that career is very interlinked with this. You know, my first book was I See Your Dream Job because I don't believe that you can go to a toxic job that means nothing to you just for the paycheck, just for the benefits without it sucking your soul away and really pulling you into that dark vortex. I work with clients every day who say, I hate my job, but I'm hanging in there because of healthcare or this or that. And I say, but the thing is, staying in that job is what's making you sick, you know? Mm. So we have to shift even how we make a living. And this is a time now where everyone is being called to step up to the next level of their work, create their own path, their own practice, their own business, do the work that their soul is calling them to do. And then it is so much easier to shift out of this mundane soul drudgery that happens here on earth every day. Yeah. Yeah, that resonates with me quite a bit, actually. And I'll share just a little bit of my own personal uh, story mm -hmm. and background. And this kind of connects to everything you're saying and uh, things that you are writing. You know, I've been in academia for almost three decades now. And I spent the past 18 years teaching and I love teaching and I feel like I have a knack for it. I have a passion for it. That's what students tell me. But things have shifted in the United States a lot with teachers and 70% yeah. of college professors are now part-timers with no job security, no benefits. And several years ago, I started saying, you know, I, I don't want to participate anymore in my own exploitation. Mm, and, <laughs> and I had a, I was up for a full-time position at one of the schools that I had taught at outstanding, you know, evaluations and everything. And they hired someone who had never taught at the school. Oh, wow. And it was a deep, profound soul hurt. Yeah. Um, and, and I ended up feeling very resentful and angry and bitter. And I don't feel like I'm that person and I don't want to be that person. So eventually I was like, okay, I need to get out of this. And it's just like you were saying, we're in this, this point where it's like, but where do I go? What do I do? And it seems like, you know, the, the answer is, well, I have to try to carve something out. Yes. And that's tricky right now because it does seem to require a kind of leap. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad you're talking about this. So the way I see that story that happened to you 
is that you are a powerful, highly evolved soul. I mean, I wish we were doing a numerology <laughs> session. I would talk about your path and that you had reached a nine year and end of a cycle because numerology maps out all of our reinvention cycles. It's amazing. And when people hit a nine year, even when they don't know that they're in a nine year, suddenly the, they lose the job or they don't get the promotion and they take it personally and go, oh my God, this is horrible. And yet the truth is their soul designed that point of reinvention so that they would step up to the next and stepping up to the next means you've got to start doing that inner work of saying, you know, when I can really be in touch with my passion, my heart, my soul, what am I called to do? And how do I make that my business? And I'll tell you my own turning point too. I was always a writer. So I ended up like so many writers in journalism. And I ended up, I was very blessed because in my journalism career, I went from newspapers, which I was very unhappy with, to being able to write for health magazines, which I loved because Paul had died from cancer. So my pain was about helping people be healthy. And so I was writing all this stuff about health. And then I was ending up being VP of content and editor, all these big things. And yet after a while of that, a few decades, I hit a huge reinvention point where I had been promoted up to the dot-com VP of content with all the stock shares and, and six-figure income, and it all crashed and burned. If you remember the 1999 dot-com crash, and suddenly I was a single mom. I had no job. I couldn't find a job because I was in my late 40s. People were hiring young 20-something people, and it didn't matter how good I had been at my job. It was done. And here I was with this beautiful four-year-old daughter. I didn't want to lose our home. I was facing bankruptcy in the dark night of my soul, turning to constant prayer and request for help from spirit. This voice said, how long are you going to bang your head against the wall before you start doing what you've always done, help people with spiritual wisdom, talk to them about numerology, use your intuition to help them remember who they are and what they came to do. That is your business. Turn it into how you make your money. Cause I'd always given that away to my friends for free. Right. And and so here I was at this point going, what? I have to come out of the closet as weird and make my living that way? It was terrifying. And and yet here was my beautiful daughter going, mom, you know, what are you so upset about? And I was like, oh, I got to change this energy because she's absorbing it. And so I said, all right, I'm going to launch this business. I built a website. I actually wrote my first book in a couple of weeks because mm. <laughs> I was so impassioned to make it happen. And then I started seeing clients and teaching and speaking for free wherever they would have me. And those people would come to work with me. And within six months, I had enough clients that I could pay my bills. Mm. And I'll never forget that because the universe said, to do this. And everybody around me said, you, you'll never survive that way. My own brother said, they'll take your daughter away from you. You can't make a living that way. 
And I had to go with what my intuition was saying. And because I was on path, Nick, these miracles happen. Like literally the way I got a book contract is I was sending out my newsletter. And back then newsletters were read more with content, you know, and I had some my writing in it. And somebody passed it to an editor at a big New York publishing company. And the next thing I know, I got a phone call from an editor saying, would you consider writing a book for us about what you do with career and numerology and intuition? And I was like, oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> and that was the kind of magic that happened. And I tell my clients, when you're really on your path, when you're doing what you came to do, those doors will open, things will happen that you could never expect and you'll travel that path. But then there will always be another reinvention point. There will always be another turning point where you're asked to step up again. And if I can just explain my latest one, if that's okay. Yeah, please, um, please. I had all those books out. I was doing great. I loved my work. And then my husband, my current beautiful husband, who I've raised two kids with, was diagnosed with very aggressive cancer. You know, boy, I've walked that journey, not only with my first husband, but with my best childhood girlfriend who had died of leukemia right after Paul died. My, my father died of lung cancer right after Chrissy and Paul died. I have been through so much of that. And when Jean got sick, I said, I said, well, you tell me what you want to do here. It's your journey and I will hold you in love no matter where this takes us. And he found a doctor in Phoenix at Mayo who had the only treatment that offered him any hope. And he said, we got to move to Phoenix. And I had loved Boulder, Colorado for more than 40 years, right? I was a mountain climber, you know, and he's going, we're moving to the desert and you don't know anybody there. And I'm like, oh, great. I'm in my late 60s and I'm supposed to go start over somewhere and make friends somewhere. But I knew that it was his healing journey and I had to go with it. And I was hitting a nine-year reinvention point. Wow. My business was gone for about six months while I packed up the family home. He was down here being treated. We sold the house, moved to Phoenix, knowing nobody, and really didn't know what my future held day by day. Here I am five years in. And I can tell you it was the greatest reinvention point of this lifetime because doing my work, I was drawn and pulled to meet the people who own, who run and started a nonprofit here called HelpingParentsHeal.org, all for grieving parents. And these are my best friends now. My work feels more meaningful than ever. And my beautiful husband, Gene, is thriving so these reinvention points are tough. There's no way to deny that, but there's always a light. There's always a way through. And it seems like it requires a kind of radical trust. Courage. Yes. And courage. Yeah. Yeah. And how can people develop that? trust and courage. You mentioned a spiritual practice and you discuss this in the book as well. I would imagine that that's foundational uh, for this. Yeah. Well, the first way to find courage <laughs> is to <laughs> quiet your mind, <laughs> uh. right? 
because the monkey mind is where all the fear comes from. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Buddhists and the Hindus figured that out a long time ago, that we can't experience God until we quiet this crazy mind that we agreed to have dropping into the earth realm. We all said, okay, I'll have a a left brain logic mind because I know I have to have it down there. And we promised ourselves that we wouldn't forget that it was our right brain, intuitive, higher self that we needed to listen to down here. And then, of course, we all forget. But the only way we can reclaim that courageous heart, that courageous spirit is to quiet the mind of fear. And I think meditation and you, and I believe in the Sanskrit mantras because I think they're so powerful and I've meditated with Sanskrit mantras for since the 70s, and nothing quiets your mind as well as those do. And then, and actually, if people go to my website, they can see videos that are free that teach how I do that. But once the mind is quiet, the heart, the soul is able to speak up. And that soul never says, hold back, be afraid. Mm. This is the end of everything. The soul says, this is a divine order universe. You are held in loving consciousness. You are here to live courageously from the heart. And the moment you make a choice that way, it becomes easier and easier to do it again. Mm. Yeah, I like that. There's something that, you know, I teach when I teach religious studies, I always begin the class with uh, brief meditations and I always tailor it to the traditions that we're studying. And in the book, you actually uh, utilize my favorite Sanskrit mantra, actually, the Om Namah Shivaya. Yes, isn't that the best? I have found that to be incredibly powerful, actually. And there's just something, there's the sound <laughs> to it, Yes. but I also get some resistance from students, especially like Christian students, because they think that the meditation is, you know, all Eastern. And I'm like, no, there's a whole tradition within your discipline as well, either reciting prayers, but I often describe it as, you know, what your, the goal is, is to quiet that mind either way. But from that religious perspective, it's like you need to do that so you can hear God speaking to you. Right. And, you know, I grew up Catholic and I was taught by nuns. I went to Convent of Mercy School until I turned 18 and went off to college. So I was very much in the Catholic system. And the thing I remember the best about it was I loved praying the rosary and it was a mantra. You would simply sit there holding the prayer beads. Now I use mala beads to meditate with, but you would sit there holding the rosary and you would say the Hail Mary on every bead. It was a mind quieting mantra meditation in my opinion of it, in my experience. And I know some people hated the rosary, but it but it worked for me for that reason. And the other thing about growing up Catholic was, do you remember the Gregorian chants? I mean, I was blessed enough to grow up with that in my church. Those were the most sacred. I mean, if anybody doesn't like Om Namah Shivaya, they need to go listen to Gregorian chants. And the Christian Catholic traditions come from this 
idea of sacred sound. Mm. They called it chanting. They called it repeating the Lord's Prayer or repeating the Hail Mary, doing the rosary. They just had different words to it. And there's nothing wrong with, I mean, I even tell my clients, if you're not comfortable with Om Namah Shivaya, just repeat the Lord's Prayer over mm. and over but find the thing that quiets your mind and use it as a sacred sound. Yeah. Well, in the beginning was the word. And, <laughs> you know, here's what I've done for my Christian students is mm -hmm. I just replace the name of Shiva. Mm -hmm. I just say, just try Om Nama Yeshua. Oh, that's beautiful. Because it has the same rhythm and pattern to it. Yes. Um, and they seem to be okay with it. That's um, really good. Yeah. So I, I wanted to also ask you, and we've been kind of discussing this, you know, to listen to spirit, to listen to God, however you want to define it, and that's going to guide us. That is intuition. And you have an entire chapter titled, you know, that we have flawless intuition. We do. How so? Can you say more about that? Because sometimes following our intuition does not seem like it is flawless. Well, it depends on what you call intuition. And here's how I explain that. Intuition comes from that higher source that we can only tap into when the mind is quiet. So if it comes in in a way that makes you fearful or anxious or afraid, it is not coming from your intuition. So I give an example of even when we are getting a message that we have that something challenging is coming, if it's coming from source, from intuition, it empowers us with love and the feeling that we can move through this. Very different from feeling like, oh, something bad is coming and I've got to run from it. That's the mind at work. So <clears throat> one of my stories personally about that is when my daughter was young, of course, I was a single mom, so I always was so concerned about her well-being and loved her so much. And one day I got this call from school saying that she had fallen in gym class and hit her head and they were worried that she had a concussion. Like that's every mom's nightmare, right? So so I'm driving to the school feeling utterly distraught and I hit a red light and I just closed my eyes and said, it's so funny because now I remember I actually called out Divine Mother. I said, Divine Mother Mary, please show me what the truth is of this situation so I'll be prepared. And in that moment, I saw my daughter throw up three times. And then I was shown that she, at the end of the day, was laughing and coming home with us and that we were at the hospital and then she was coming home with us. And so I went into school and the teacher said, oh, she just threw up three times. And if mm. I hadn't had that vision, I would have been so much more upset. And so instead I said, come on, baby girl, we got this. And we got in the car and zoomed over to the hospital and they did all kinds of tests all day. But I had that vision that I knew we were going to be okay, even though it was a mild concussion. And even the parents I work with whose children cross, they always tell me that there were moments when they knew in their heart that their beautiful child was not going to be with them forever. But it came in in this loving way that said, 
love that baby. Look how beautiful that baby is because this is your short time with them. So give them all the love you have. It didn't come in with fear. Hmm. Would you say that the, in terms of like discriminating, I don't know if I want to say true intuitions, but mm -hmm. <laughs> genuine intuition, is it just a sense of knowing or is there a sense yeah. of feeling as well? Well, it does come through different ways for other many people. But for me, it's a sense of knowing that feels loving and empowering, not a sense of knowing that feels like, oh, this is terrible. You know, and yeah. I got to I got to be afraid. It's a sense of knowing like, ah, OK, in the big picture, all is well. And what I always tell people is. You may hear a voice, you may get a sense of knowing, you may see a vision. And if it comes in with wisdom and love, then it's the voice of the divine. And mm. you can trust that. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, I wanted to ask you this question as well, because the subtitle of the book, you know, is practices to quiet your ego and align with your soul. And I know that in at least the Eastern traditions, you know, the ego is something that is a bit of a challenge. <laughs> and I always will tell my students, I saw someone at the gym once that had a t-shirt that said, your, your ego is not your, oh, which I, so good. <laughs> which I always liked. However, I also think that the ego serves a beneficial purpose, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, uh, I agree. We couldn't be here without it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Its job, its job is to keep us safe mm -hmm. and to help us navigate this physical world. The way I see it is that when we're in the divine realms and we're in spirit, we are just loving consciousness and we don't have that sense of separateness that the ego mm -hmm. gives us. And when we sign up, when we agree to come to earth to help out down here, because Nick, you and I were in the divine and we were all happy and filled with wisdom and studying divinity. And, and the call came, hey, humanity's at a tipping point. Who's willing to really jump in and try to help wake up consciousness? We raised our hands and the guides said, but you know, you're going to have to have an ego down there. It's going to make you feel separate from everyone, but it will still help you accomplish things. And so we went, okay. And we jumped in and the ego here on earth is why I've been able to write books. It's why you've been able to teach and do your beautiful work. Without that ego, we wouldn't accomplish anything. However, it has to be guided by the soul's wisdom, not just that sense of I am separate from everyone. And so I have to be better than everyone. That's the ego talking. Yeah. So that circles us back. I think directly to compassion. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, the compassion for the people who didn't hire you at that, that job is by saying, thank God I am now experiencing in my new phase of my journey, how brilliant and powerful I am in a new way. I was ready to make a change. I see that now. Yeah. Well, hopefully the universe will start rewarding with a little bit of rent money. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I 
Well, if I were doing a session with you, we would talk about all the ways that you can be using, you know, your work and your gifts to make money. So that's always part of the conversation because we have to have money here on earth. It's part of the game. Yeah. It's unfortunate reality. It's an unfortunate reality. And so connected to this question that I had asked previously about being kind of stuck in the mire of the world and everything so many people what seems to be kind of dominant in this 21st century right now is the hustle and how do we find time to develop and create this sort of spiritual practice and time to quiet that mind well honestly i think most people are not interested in that until they've had a huge heartbreak. Mm. That's why I say divine mother grief is our greatest teacher because we are going to focus on career and money and uh, accumulating things and all that stuff that this crazy world tells us is important until the minute we see our beautiful loved one cross over and suddenly we're looking at the deeper meaning of life. Where did they go? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Once we're finally asking those questions, we will be driven to have a spiritual practice because we will know that we have to go within to find these answers. We can't find them in that outside world that we've always been focused on. So You know, people are going to be crazy until they have a wake up call. And here's the interesting thing is that I've really seen that in these next few years, there is going to be turmoil in our country and it may even involve physical stuff happening that none of us want to happen. And yet that turmoil is also a soul awakening for people. And so when we think about all the bad things that could unfold in the next few years, we can also flip it around and say, what powerful soul awakening moments will be in all of this pain and chaos and that people will finally get beyond the mind because the mind is going to drive everybody crazy Mm -hmm. and they'll be willing to go deeper and have that connection with spirit and soul. That's Mm -hmm. the ultimate purpose here on earth. And we are at such a tipping point of that becoming the mandate and the primary thing here being in touch with our God consciousness. Yeah. Like I said, at the kind of the beginning of this conversation, there are certain themes that keep coming up and guests, you know, describe it differently. They're always using different language, which I, I, which I appreciate. And that actually allows me to kind of not shut off my critical mind, but to say, ah, this is, we're just speaking different languages, but saying the same thing. And one of the things that keeps coming, there are two primary things that keep coming up over and over and over again, is that we are in an initiatory moment and that we have to remember who we are. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I'm so glad there are so many different people with different ways of saying that because it resonates with the people who align with your way of 
talking and speaking and you know not everybody loves my way of doing it and so I'm so happy there are so many people out there with a different point of view saying the same thing because we all are hearing the call in our own ways and yes the message is everywhere it's so prevalent and when you can really surrender I'm always telling my husband you know quit resisting because he's always watching the news and I'm like okay stop I used to be that way but you just can't do that today or it will totally totally make you insane he gets upset about it and I go surrender yes we're headed into chaos and yes Mm. things are going to happen that you don't want to happen but the minute we can look at it from the soul's view we can begin to figure out the purpose of it and how to find our way through it my intention is that no matter how crazy things get that I can be a healer, a helper in some way to those who need it in the next few years. And that I will remember that divine purpose, no matter how cloudy things get here. And once you set that intention, you can walk through whatever's coming. Yeah. Well, it seems like we need the message in different guises, right? We do. (laughs) To speak to all these different people. So, uh, I wanted to ask you, in the book, you include a lot of transcripts with people that you've worked with. And, you know, you're doing, I guess, the past life regressions uh, on them. And I was wondering if you could speak to that. Oh, yes. (laughs) I am so grateful because I had not been doing that with clients until the big reinvention I hit a few years ago. And I was in Unity Ministry School then and learning really more how to align with God consciousness. And then I found this amazing teacher, Dr. Linda Bachman, who was doing soul regression sessions. And I looked into her background and I was so blown away because she was a mainstream psychologist for 30 something years. And then she lost a loved one and their spirit started appearing and telling her things and everything she believed in and psychology went out the window, even though she had a PhD. So she started doing her own training in soul regression, where you take a soul back to see what, what they planned for this lifetime and what other lifetime they've been in that informs why they're experiencing this one. And it's done through, you can either call it hip, hypnosis or deep guided meditation. I like to call it deep guided meditation. And I bring clients to that state of the higher consciousness of the soul. And we get to see what their past lifetime was about that's informing this one. And most importantly, in the between lives realm, they get to talk to their guides and their counsel and say, what am I here to learn in this life? And how am I doing? And it's so amazing, Nick, to have people tell you over and over again from all different walks of life, these same kinds of answers that come from the highest guides about why we're here and why we're going through this turmoil or grief. Once you hear, you know, a hundred clients saying that the guides are telling them the same things, you start understanding, yes, it's a universal truth why we're here and soul regression illuminates that so beautifully. Now, in the descriptions of working with your clients, there are a couple of things 
that come up quite a bit. And one of them is, and forgive me if I don't remember right now the exact terminology, but there's a library. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I was wondering if you could speak to that. Is that like, I think that it's sometimes referred to as like the Akashic Records? Yeah, the Akashic Records are in that library of soul wisdom. And here's the thing, Nick, you have been a teacher in that library. There's many areas <laughs> in that library where we help souls learn certain things about human incarnation and why we go to Earth. In fact, my departed husband has a job there where he, when souls cross over, he sits with them and helps them process their life, bringing in his own divine wisdom to help them and his love. And in that library is where we go to absorb and study all of this beautiful ancient knowledge, even about healing the body, that's in the library. You know, whenever I bring a client in there, they're drawn to a different area and they learn different things. And it's just phenomenal to witness it. That's my favorite place in the divine realms. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I love libraries and I love being surrounded yes. by books. So it, 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 it appealed to me quite a bit. And I wanted to ask this and I don't know, so forgive me, but I'm curious, do you incorporate any kind of body work in the work that you do? Because the reason I ask this is because I know that often we carry a lot of this stuff in our bodies. We do. And sometimes that work helps release it. The only thing I do is the in my guided meditations that we do a whole lot of visualizing of this body realigning and releasing stuff that's as that's how i begin to bring them into this experience of going into the divine and i also use deep breathing techniques okay. but i will say that i don't call myself a body worker and right. i really honor those people who that is their specialty and they go in and work with chakras and all kinds of stuff with people. You know, for me, it's more like, let me take you in this journey. And as we go, we are realigning the body with our higher selves, our God consciousness. Okay. All right. Wonderful. That's fair. I was just curious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In fact, my daughter just graduated acupuncture school and I'm a huge fan of acupuncture because yeah. it yeah. does open those blocked energy centers yeah. and there's many ways to do that yeah 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 and that's something again personally that i've experienced and that was before i made the decision to move back to colorado i had a lot of blocked energy yeah um, and i had to kind of free that i think to be better in touch with the guidance that i was getting i suppose and the older we get the more that is true that we carry these physical traumas emotional traumas in the body and you know it's so funny because paul my husband he came back he comes back a lot to tell me what i should be telling my clients and what i should be teaching he came back after i was teaching a grief workshop where a lot of the people had lost a loved one to cancer and they kept repeating their stories of all the suffering that had gone on for their partner or their child and Paul that night came to me and said, he he, he lifted up his shirt because he had had colon cancer and he had had several surgeries and his abdomen was totally scarred with surgeries when he crossed. And in this vision, he lifted up his shirt and his skin was translucent and beautiful and 
completely perfect. And he said, there is no suffering for the soul. You have to help those people know that they should not be in those memories. Their loved one is not in that suffering. Their loved one is not in those memories that the soul never suffers and that we even leave the body often in times of great suffering, Paul has shown me that he wasn't even in his body during especially the last few days of, of suffering and trauma. And yet when I was grieving, I kept going back to those memories. So I was carrying his memories of suffering in my body. And it was only from deep meditation work. I even worked with Kundalini yoga for a while and a, a meditation teacher who really did a lot of pulling of energy out of me. And you have to go to whatever either body worker or spiritual path is going to help you purify yourself of those trauma memories because they don't serve us and they're not who we are. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and we do. We identify, I think, with the um, traumas and the stories that we tell. Oh, yeah, exactly. You know, my father came back to show me something really important when he crossed. It's mm -hmm. called a shared death experience, similar to the near-death experience. But he had died of lung cancer, and when he was dying... I was by then I had lost Paul and Chrissy and Marv and so many people that I was like my dad's soul counselor. You know, we were talking about all kinds of things about what would happen in the moments of crossing over and how good his life had been and what a beautiful soul he was. And on the day he was dying, I knew he was going to die that day. And I told my family, I want to stay here and help him. And I'm always the black sheep of my family. To be honest, uh, my family lives in the deep South and they're very conservative Catholic <laughs> and they have never known what to do with me. So in that moment, they said, nope, Sue, this is your day to go home with the grandkids and take care of the kids because we were trading all that off. So I was very angry, very humanly angry about that. And I got all the kids in the van and we drove home and and I got him down for a nap. And then I sat down to meditate. This is the important part of the story. We have to meditate because then we can receive important information from spirit. So I just sat down to meditate. I was only doing it because I was upset and I knew it would quiet my mind and calm me down. And so I sat in meditation and my father instantly appeared in front of me and he was young healthy, happy, the way I hadn't seen him for years. And he was joking around with me, making me laugh. And I said, dad, you're such a goofball. And then I was like, dad, what are you doing here? And I realized, wow, he's out of his body. And I picked up the phone and called the hospital room. And my brother, Jim said, I said, I just had a visit from dad. And Jim said, it's chaos in the hospital room. He's having a heart attack. And because the family couldn't agree on do not resuscitate orders, they were doing CPR on him, this man dying of lung cancer. And he said it was utter chaos in that room. And they hadn't called my father's death yet. And I said, don't worry, he is not anywhere near that body. He is not anywhere near that chaos. 
he came right to me to show me that no he's not there he's already free he's already happy he's already funny again and that's a message for anybody who's ever witnessed their loved one die in a painful way they were probably not in that body mm-hmm. yeah i i can see where that would be very helpful <laughs> very yeah. very very helpful and you know the thing I always want to tell my guests that do this kind of work or similar work is, you know, the world is in desperate need of healing right now. And so I applaud everyone who is engaged in healing practices and trying to make the world and humanity just better, (laughs) you know, just better Um, because it's so needed right now. It's our call to action. Yeah, yeah. We really don't have a choice. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's the great work. It's the work that needs to be done right now. So I, I know that we are uh, near the end of our hour together. Uh, so let me ask you, what are you working on next? What do you have coming up? <laughs> well, I've got some classes people might be interested in. They're on my website, suefrederick.com. And they're actually classes where I take a group into those divine realms to experience their conversations with their guides, all of that good stuff. And it works pretty well with a group. You know, you're not able to speak back and tell me what you're experiencing, but I have you write down what you've experienced as soon as it's over. And so I'm doing another one of those starting in October on Zoom. So anyone can join us and it's all on my website. And then I've got a number of other classes on there that people can take on YouTube. There are numerology classes. I have a very helpful numerology workbook on Amazon that anybody who's interested in that can go and and look at and, and look at, figure out their path. And, and I'm always speaking and teaching. I'll be speaking at various events and they're usually online as well. So those are also listed on my website and my website is suefrederick.com. Okay. Wonderful. I will put a link to your website in the show notes in the video description, as well as a link to your latest book through a divine lens Thank you, uh, so that people can find it much easier. So Sue, thank you so much for your time and the healing work that you do and sharing your wisdom. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And that's a wrap on episode 106 of Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you so much for listening or watching if you're a part of my YouTube audience. If you like what I do here on Rebel Spirit Radio, please consider signing up for my Patreon. Some of the perks for patrons include early access to videos, shout outs to members, a members only Facebook page, access to the Rebel Spirit Radio Discourse server, and a monthly book club where we explore books discussed on the podcast, uh, spiritual and philosophical classics, and books related to the cocktail apocalypse. I mean, remember, I am a professor of philosophy and religion. So consider the book club an ongoing classroom where you can go as deep as you would like with me and other rebel spirits. You can find the link for my Patreon in the show notes or video descriptions. And of course, if you would prefer to make a one-time donation, you can still do so via PayPal. I still have big plans for the podcast and the YouTube channel. Right now, this is all a labor of love, so your support will 
not only help me in continuing what I do here, but will also help me grow the channel and the podcast. I'm going to continue with the Cocktail Apocalypse live stream and plan to launch at least one more live stream this coming year. I'm also going to be creating more video content for the YouTube channel and and working on putting together a few classes as well. This is going to take a lot of work and time, and I'll be tremendously grateful for any support that you can provide. Another way that you can help the podcast is to share it with friends, family, co-workers, on social media. You know the drill. This really is one of the best ways that you can help and support the podcast. Help me grow my audience. As I always like to say, I'm here on the front range now doing missionary work in regards to religion, spirituality and ecology, psychedelics and consciousness, and how all of this can help us heal humanity's relationship with the sacred earth. So if you feel moved by the rebel spirit, and you know, I sure hope that you do, then please, by all means, help me share the good news. I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to or watching Rebel Spirit Radio. Until next time, may you be at peace, may you flourish in all possible ways, and may you continue to nurture your rebel spirit.